This is Pod Populi, podcast for the people. Hello, and welcome to the Franchise Life. I am your host, Stacy Shannon. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Zach Butler, who is the co-founder of Horsepower Brands. Welcome, Zach. Great to be here, Stacey. Thanks for joining me. Well, there is no better person other than yourself to introduce Horsepower Brands, but prior to doing so, I would love if you could just share a little bit about your background and life prior to joining or developing Horsepower Brands, I should say. Yeah, I. Uh, so I've been in franchising for 15 years, and I got my start at a very young age. There was a nutrition concept uh, in the uh, late 2000s that had emerged from a gentleman who previously owned the top producing GNCs in the country, and he broke off and he started his own uh his own supplement store. And right when he opened those up, it's kind of when I came on there and I was a part-time kid in college. I think I was 18. And it's interesting how life works. About two weeks later, everybody uh, kind of quit or uh, got moved to corporate and I was the only one left. So I was the manager by default. And uh, I was good at that. And I decided that I like to do that. And the money was great. More, I like to do it more than I like to go to school. So I kind of became the manager and I said, I'll do it until you find someone better. And did that. Uh, for several years and built that store up to one of the top performing corporate locations. And during that time frame, they began to franchise. And I sat there thinking, do I stay going to school or do I open up my own franchise? And I knew that I didn't like school. And I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I uh, had saved up about $20,000. I was 20 years old. I went to the founder of that business and I convinced him to co-sign an SBA loan. And I moved down to Florida and I opened up my first location. And uh, it was fantastic. I 1.3 million first year open, sunshine and rainbows. Opened up six more locations in two years, and built that up to about eight million in revenue. And I was 23, I believe. I was really good at finding good people, creating culture, and developing a sales process. But I didn't have the business acumen. And uh, what I uh, one of the mistakes I made was I I signed all these leases, and I was personally guaranteed on each lease for 10 years. And Amazon came into that market. There was a, some e-commerce debacle happening, and I ended up losing everything and filing bankruptcy, having the starting all over. And during that process, there was another franchisee who had around 10 locations that had some really good infrastructure, and we had been trying to do something together. And so uh, I negotiated a $26,000 salary, or it was mid-20s, and I calculated it down to the penny on what I needed to live, but I convinced him to give me equity in future locations, and that we grew from 10 on. And there wasn't really a plan for growth, uh, but lo and behold, we went from 10 locations to 68 locations in three years. And that was a rocket ship. And we did that for about a decade. And uh, we built that up to about $40 million in revenue. And uh, the corporate side sold the private equity, and they began uh, making some changes that I thought was that were not going to work. And my partner, who was majority at the time, he thought were going to work. And so I uh, sold my equity back, and I left and got into franchise development. And that was uh, something that I was uh, that I really had a passion for talking to cancer, looking to become an entrepreneur. I, I was I was good at that, and I had a, kind of a unique background as a franchisee. And my first brand was Monster Tree Service, who my partner now, Josh Cole, founded. 
And so there's certain people I think you're just destined to meet and work with. And Josh and I, I think, have talked every day for five years. And we built that business up and we were lucky enough to sell it and to Authority Brands and did pretty well. And then uh, throughout that journey, we acquired Redbox Plus, built that up and we sold it. And then we had this idea to really change the expectation or the status quo in franchising. And so we began launching our own franchise concepts through acquisitions at a really young, uh, or really, uh, uh, I guess what you'd say, acquiring uh, franchise opportunities that were in their infancy. There was only one or two locations. And uh, here we are today. We have seven franchise concepts that are active with seven supporting verticals. So we're now vertically integrated to provide better support to the franchisees. And uh, it's been a rocket ship. What an incredible story. Goodness. Starting at 18 years of age, it took me, um, gosh, it really took me until in my 40s to figure out I could be a business owner. So, you know, it's it's interesting. I love hearing your story because one thing that always stands out to me when I look at the Horsepower Brands material is a quote that you have in there by Mark Twain. And the quote is, good decisions come from experience and experience comes from bad decisions. And now that you've shared that story, it puts it all into perspective in, you know, what your journey has been and where that has taken you today in building horsepower brands. No, for sure. I, I mean, you're talking to different camps. I've been there. I've lived that journey in that life. And I know how stressful business ownership can be. So I, I think a lot of the, what Josh and I go through is that you know, managing expectations is a big part of being a franchisor. And you can definitely oversell opportunities uh, or not provide enough support uh, across different regions. And you can make a lot of mistakes, which we have made. And uh, uh, obviously, you know, everyone's going to make mistakes. What really matters is how do you fix those mistakes? So you, that brings me to the approach that Horsepower Brands is taking in the industry today, because as I watch you guys grow and have grown over the past couple of years, it, it's really incredible uh, all of the support that you have brought in-house within Horsepower Brands to help support your franchisees and the very all of the brands. So can you talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, really what that idea was that you and Josh had and how that has grown into what you have today? Yeah, I think looking back, there's three business models in franchising, Stacey. Uh, and this is how we look at it is that first let's pick the industry that you're in and let's just use uh, our first brand under first our uh, Mighty Dog Roofing. So the first pillar of our first business model is roofing in the industry. How do you provide estimates? What are the products, uh, the, the, the terms? How, how do you go out and find the relationships to give you the products and find the subcontractors and employees, yada, yada. The second is as a franchisor, how do you support different personalities across different regions of the country with different climates, at, with different personalities, uh, at different life cycles of their, of their business. So somebody that first launches needs different support than somebody that's been open for a year or two years or three years. Well, the third pillar is how do you go out and find people to buy your franchise and, uh, and take them through a process with good expectations legally? Those are all three very different skill sets. So 
when you first become a franchisor, you really only have one experience, and that's the industry. And you have to become, uh, have to learn how to become a, a franchisor. Unfortunately, there's no college classes or books to read that can prepare you for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we're really good at is the franchisor vertical. We know how to support franchisees, and we know how to grow them aggressively. So we've now taken four brands from uh, less than four units to over 100 locations in the first 12 months, which less than 5% of brands do. And when you grow brands that quickly, there's pros and cons. Uh, the pros is that you can scale up the business. You can create a lot of a national awareness quickly. And that opens a lot of doors for franchisees. The con is that there's very few vendors that you work with that can support that type of growth with you alongside. So you might have to have two or three different vendors to supporting you in the same thing, which becomes difficult to manage. And so as we sat down and looked at what we had done in the past and with Mighty Dog Grouping as our first brand, we knew that uh, we had to do uh, two things really well. We had to do a really good job at customer acquisition, and we had to help. We had to do a really good job uh, at supporting franchisees uh, with the operational side. And those are two things where that business is a sales and marketing engine, where the subcontractors are really uh, doing the installation. And so that led us down a path where we were having some frustrations with the marketing company that we were working with, not being able to sustain that growth. So we did an acquisition. And so we acquired our first supporting vertical, which was which is now Franchise Rocket, and that I think changed our mind. Changed really opened our eyes to, you know, there's this facade that these vertical or these vendors that you work with have, where they don't really have it together on the back end. Typically, they're figuring it out just like you're figuring it out with their business. But we can go out and we can hire people that are extremely talented. We can deploy some of our capital, and we can typically provide a better. Uh, experience to our franchisees because we're focusing on that specifically just them out of the gate. And there's no dilution of support because we're 90 days behind when the franchisee opens. And so as we sat there when we were building this, we were able to provide more supporting services by vertical integration, but we were able to provide them at less cost to the franchisees because we own the brand. And because we own the supporting verticals, the franchise brands, and we're doing the development in-house, we have complete alignment across all departments under the horsepower umbrella, which uh, I don't think has been done to date. And so uh, I don't think as we sat there that day when Josh and I were first having this conversation that this is what it would evolve to, but we knew we wanted to provide more support than any other franchise or in existence. And we wanted to do that from day one of launch before we had any franchisees. Uh, we wanted to change the game of customer acquisition and um, we wanted to grow the brand quickly. And we feel that we've done all three of those. But I think one of the things that just like any business owner is we're finding a lot of value in is as we scale our business, we're running into challenges where we deploy capital to solve big problems. And as we've done that, that's where the vertical integration has really come to life. Yeah. And I think for for individuals who have not embarked into business ownership or entrepreneurism themselves, uh, you know, there is a lot of money saved, number one, by that internal marketing agency that you have because they know the brands, they know the franchising industry, and they know how to acquire and who their target market is. I've owned several businesses myself. Um, one was a brick and mortar uh, indoor cycling studio I built for the, from the ground up. 
uh, I it was a five year project of trying and testing different things to see what that magic bullet was. I've also invested in a franchise, and that franchise grew extremely quickly. It was a home services based concept, grew extremely quickly. Uh, they did provide marketing, uh, I should say material, but what they didn't do was do the implementation of the digital marketing and so forth. So I was left to go out and hire my own resources to do my digital lead generation marketing, um, everything from A to Z. And again, I, I felt like I was in a position to train those individuals on who my customer is, what voice I needed to have, and you know, what, and a lot of money was wasted. So, you know, it really is invaluable, the support that you guys are providing to your franchisees. I think one other thing that I've noticed different about horsepower brands, um, and I'll just, a very relevant uh, announcement came across LinkedIn today that a certain brand awarded 16 territories to an individual or to to partners. And one thing I've noticed with horsepower brands is it's not about necessarily growing quickly and selling as many territories as you can, but it's really about responsible growth. So can you talk to me about what a horsepower brand strategy is? As I understand, at most, you'll award five territories to a single investor, but you're also taking an approach that you would like those investors to grow vertically within their markets versus uh, acquiring more territories. So share a little bit more about what your strategic approach is in that area. It's a great point. So we went back, obviously, when you do, when you have a two X's with private equity, there's a lot of data analysis that happens. And when we went back and looked, uh, um, the franchisees that bought more than three territories did less in revenue almost 90% of the time than people that bought two or three territories. So we typically never sold more than five in the past. But when we did went back and looked at the data, if somebody goes over that three territory mark, they're highly statistically likely to do less in total revenue. And when we look back, look back at that, one of the mistakes that we made as a franchisor is that the, when you look to start a business in a five-territory market or a one-territory market, it was really the same footprint. It was just you had more area. Well, just because you have more area doesn't mean you're doing more in revenue. And so now what we've got have set up is that the more territory you buy, the different your opening or launch looks like based on equipment, inventory, et cetera. But I think when you look at home services, when you buy multiple territories, you're not buying multiple businesses. You're just buying a bigger footprint. So we look at multi-unit as uh, as multiple concepts leveraging the same footprint of, of territory, the same real estate, the same leadership team, being able to cross-market the same customers, uh, leveraging the same referral partners. And we think that there's a lot of value to that. And if you look at what Horsepower is doing, that's really what we're doing. We're, leverage, we're having multiple franchise concepts leveraging the same building, the same office, uh, the same leadership team, et cetera. And uh, we're building an infrastructure around that. So we feel very confident that uh, to provide franchisees 
uh, two very important things. The first, a return on their investment. And, and the second is a return on their time. We have to be very responsible about how we grow our business and how we award territories. And we do think that's the right approach long-term. And so if a franchisee can save $30,000 by not buying that fourth territory and they can reinvest it in their three territory market and make more money back, they're going to be happier. They're going to make more money. They're going to validate better and they're going to be a better long-term partner than if they overbuy and overspend and not get a return on that additional capital. So with all of your brands, you offer uh, individuals can come in as an owner operator. Certainly, you want that individual to be managing the business, not executing the work, whether it's lawn care or uh, roofing or what have you. You also have semi-passive ownership, um, which is putting a manager in place, managing the manager. They can keep their their full-time job if need be. In the semi-passive realm, what would you say the percentage is of semi-passive owners across all of your brands versus owner-operator? Ours is just under 50%. Like uh, It's 48% and uh, some change, depending on the day. So uh, it's about half and half for us, always has been. Uh, now, uh, I think what it all, and I think also that what we're seeing with the economy, with uh, unemployment, I think you're, we're starting to see more people looking for semi-absentee opportunities. I think that creates uh, pros and cons for all brands that you have to be able to provide a lot more support to a semi-absentee owner for them to be successful than an owner-operator that's in a day-to-day. And so uh, it, it takes a brand, uh, it, cost, it costs more money to do it that way, but you have somebody that's willing to leverage people and capital to grow their business and work on the business, not in the business. So there's a benefit there as well. So with one of your brands, uh, Heroes Lawn Care, you have also uh, introduced what you call an investor model. Can you share what the investor model means and why you chose Heroes Lawn Care to implement that with? Yeah, great, great question. Uh, We looked at a space that we wanted to be in and we wanted to be uh, on the home doing fertilization as well as sprinkler systems uh, on the home. We thought that was a fantastic business to be in. There's great recurring revenue, large volumes, fairly unsophisticated. Now, as we look at that model, if you were to take, say, just the irrigation, there's not really enough volume to support a semi-absentee owner and a full-time GM. Uh, now, when you add the fertilization to that opportunity, it becomes pretty attractive. And as we looked at, again, being a franchisor, we wanted to build a launch franchisees 12 months out of the year. And we also wanted to figure out a way to be on the property more frequently. And it, when we started looking at it, it made perfect sense to, to add pet waste removal to that offering. So Heroes does uh, land, uh, fertilization, irrigation, uh, as well as pet waste removal. So we can be on the property almost weekly. And we can take one customer and turn them into potentially two other customers for our other verticals. But as we looked at that, the GM that would run that business is going to be significantly lower paid than what somebody could afford that business would want to make. So it makes it a perfect opportunity for someone to keep their W-2 job, offset a bunch of tax liability, and and build a recurring business model that everybody needs in all states around the country. So from an investor standpoint, then, 
let's say I'm interested in Heroes Lawn Care as an investor model, what does that mean to me from a time commitment standpoint and from a an additional cost standpoint per se above being a semi-passive owner? So I love that time question. Uh, (laughs) Everybody wants to know how much time do I have to spend? So uh, when you launch a business, it's your baby. It's you're proud of that and you're going to spend more time than is needed in that business. Uh, uh, so I, we raise we we raise cattle and live on a farm, and I'm very passionate about the genetic side of cattle. And I lay in bed till two in the morning sometimes, just looking at uh, a different cattle sales, and not because I need to, but just because I'm passionate about it because it's exciting. Or if there's a new bet brand we're launching, I want to learn about that brand, so I spend more time on it than probably needed. So I think that there's what's necessary to operate the business, which is typically five to fifteen hours a week. But when you first look at the first 90 days of that business, you're probably going to spend a lot because you're launching a new business, you're telling your friends and family, you're meeting new networks and suppliers, and it's it's a it's a it's almost intoxicating intoxicating building a business in that first six months. Now that's the funnest part, I think. And uh, so I think people spend more time than they're needed. But typically, our definition would be that an investor model is five to 15 hours a week. Uh, but there could be a week you need to spend more, and there could be a week that you spend zero. It all depends on how good of a business owner and uh, how good you are at operational efficiency. And then, Zach, can you share a little bit about how Horsepower Brands assist with uh, the staffing side of that for the business and, I believe, payroll? Yeah. Uh, so in franchising, there's a lot of liability for franchisors to help with recruiting. So, uh, for example, if McDonald's uh, helps their franchisee recruit someone uh, in that business, they could think that, oh, this is the franchisee recruiting me, but it was actually the franchisor. So there's a lot of liability for joint employer liability. And uh, we knew that if we can help our franchisees find better people, again, there's alignment where they'll perform better, which we obviously make royalties on. So they'll produce more revenue, they'll be happier, and we'll be uh, doing a better job too. It'll be easier to manage that system and produce more royalties. Well, to get around that or to create, to solve a problem, we leveraged capital. We created our own third-party entity that's for-profit, an LLC called Recruit Z that helps franchisees recruit their labor force at pennies on the dollar compared to what a typical staffing agency would charge. So I believe the going rate is around 30% of the annual compensation of the person they're recruiting. So if it's a six sixty dollars person, I mean, that's 18000 bucks they're going to have to pay where uh, there's two packages that we offer. It's a $499 charge or a $999 charge to find key people. And there's no one else in franchising that's going to do it for that cheap. But because we own the brand, we want to be able to find great people. We're providing a service at lower cost than the competitors because we can. So that allows us to get by that joint employer liability where horsepower brands never recruited. That person was never mentioned. It's a third party unaffiliated business. So that's how we really help support franchisees, which so took obviously both capital and intellectual capital to build a, to build that entity. And then take it a step further, there's with that business because it's it's smaller transactions and it's residual revenue, there's a lot of transactions daily, weekly, monthly, is we want to make sure that we could number one, help with the bookkeeping services, number two, help with uh, accounts receivable and payment uh, support upgrades. So if somebody has a new checking account or a new card, 
We want to be able to update that for the franchisees. But we also wanted to be able to help manage payroll. So we process the payroll, we help with accounts receivable, we help with the billing, and we help with the bookkeeping services, all in-house through a company called ZBooks. Incredible. It's, I mean, when somebody starts really diving into opportunities that are out there, uh, you know, certainly one size does not fit all and no two brands are alike in the level of support. Of course, unless they're all under the horsepower brands umbrella. So, uh, okay. So let me, uh, ask you this, um, you, you know, you talked a little bit about how you got started in the industry. And one thing we all know, uh, individuals who are considering business ownership and certainly business ownership for the first time deal with fear. And you had great success. And then all of a sudden you plummeted and filed bankruptcy how your how did you yourself overcome fear of deciding to jump back into the franchise industry and start all over again and what advice would you give to somebody that is considering business ownership investment for the first time regarding fear well it was a difficult I mean, that was a very difficult period of my life where you almost lose purpose. You feel like you've failed. And as I dug down, I, there was a great book by Jack Canfield called The Success Principles. And I'll never forget it said, uh, uh, take responsibility for where you're, something like where, take responsibility for where you're at in life. And I, it made me sit down and think about, well, how did I get here? And, you know, in the beginning, you know, you have these thoughts of it's this person's fault or this person's fault. And at the end of the day, it was my fault. And I was in control of my destiny and I let that destiny get away from me. So that really sat me down and said, I want to get to this place uh, where I want to get to. But, uh, you know, I, I wasn't doing the things that I should have been doing to get there. And uh, there's only one there's only one way out of that was to, to rebuild. And so I kind of put my head down and was willing to do whatever it took. But ever since then, I and I you see the books behind me, I do not enjoy reading. But I have this constant feeling that I'm behind. And I think that... Uh, uh, if I'm not being somewhat productive, I, I almost feel like I, I that like that could be right around the corner again. So, it's a good lesson learned that hey, you might, we have you have to make sure that uh, you're evolving as a business owner, as a leader, and as a person. You know, uh, your business could be doing well, but your home life with your wife and kids might not, or the wife and kids could be great, but if the business isn't doing well. It's very hard to have a good relationship there. So, you have to be you have to work on being a better person, both inside the business and outside the per- business. To maintain long-term success, but um, I knew that uh, my why for business ownership uh, was to get back to small-town life and uh, be able to provide for my family and build small-town values that I grew up in. So, Josh and I have a very similar upbringing. We both came from nothing. Our dads owned blue-collar businesses. His 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 uh, dad owned a hardwood flooring business, and my dad owned a livestock auction barn in a small town. And we grew up working in that business, and I think there's a level of pride you have for your family businesses. And uh, uh, my dad still operates that business today that's been open for 50 years, and uh, they haven't made a single improvement in that property. There's not even internet or computers, to believe it or not. But it still makes money, and they still operate it, but uh, that's what he's done his entire life, and he's proud of that. And I grew up with 
and that gave me, I think, values of hard work and that uh, being your own boss is, is always the best path. And uh, Josh is the same way. And so looking back, the reason that we do this is to make sure that we can raise our children and our kids and our family uh, with the right values and be able to be our own boss and have more time uh, with, with them and with the people that we love. So uh, when I talk to people that have never owned their own business, it's scary because you have no idea how much greener the grass is on the other side. Uh, you'll never meet somebody that went to work for themselves and decided that they wanted to work for someone else again. They, after they got, after they got out of that and they went and had with their own boss and started their own business, it, you never hear them coming back into the workforce and staying there long. They're always like, I got to go back and be my own boss. The freedom that you get as a business owner and the satisfaction you get from owning your business is second, in my opinion, to only having children. And uh, if you've never experienced that, uh, I personally think it's worth the risk of it all failing and, losing, and, and going downhill. But uh, you, know, you got to be willing to take that first step and believe in yourself and partner with the right people. Okay. I don't know if that was if I answered your question specifically, but I feel like I did. You absolutely did, and it's it's you know what you shared is so powerful, and I certainly haven't always hit a home run in my investments. Um, but, you know, I think that's only spurred uh, my desire to continuously try again and grow and look uh, for what that next thing is in my life. And I think, you know, one thing for me and just from a personal standpoint is and and you hit on this a little bit uh, that both you and Josh, your your parents uh you know, showed you what work ethic is and small business ownership. And that does instill something in yourself because I came from a family family where my grandfather owned a new car dealership. My dad was a used car salesman, always owned his own businesses. And from the time I was little, I knew I wanted to, to be my own boss Unfortunately, it took me 21 years in the corporate world to, to finally get the gumption to, to walk away. But there's not one day that I've ever, as you said, looked back and wasn't thankful for waking up every day and being my own boss. So uh, we're going to be wrapping up here, but I am going to put you on the spot for a couple of questions. So we've mentioned that you have uh, seven brands, seven, eight brands in your portfolio today. Which one is your favorite brand and why? I do have a favorite. Uh, so iPhone Insulation is my favorite brand. Uh, I like concepts that have a barrier of entry with equipment or where there's a barrier of entry where uh not everyone can just go and start one. So if you take roof, Mighty Dog Roofing, we've been wildly successful with, but if you have a great salesperson, you know, and they've saved enough money, they can wrap a truck, get a line of credit at Home Depot and create a crappy website and be a roofer. Uh, in the installation, there's a few hundred thousand dollars worth of equipment that you have to start with to be able to really go out there and bid jobs of, of appropriately. So I like having a barrier of entry uh, in the business and, I look at it as if that's the brand that costs the most that we have or it's the highest level of investment. But most of that investment is an in equipment that holds its value really well. So I don't look at the risk as near the risk that someone that uh, doesn't consider that. 
But uh, with that industry, it's really being turned on its head right now. So iFoam spoke focuses on primarily spray foam insulation. And spray foam is by far the most efficient product in, 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 in the entire insulation industry. And we're at this kind of forefront where spray foam is around, I think, 10% of the total industry. And uh, Owens Corning, who is the king of fiberglass insulation, has always kind of looked down on spray foam and almost spat on it, to be honest. They recently in August just acquired uh, a large spray foam manufacturer for around $300 million. And they are now getting into spray foam. So spray foam is, is anticipated to really take over the market share across the country for construction, for new home construction, commercial. And when you look at the administration focusing on uh, home efficiency and energy efficiency, uh, I, I really do think that we are starting this concept at you know, almost a perfect time to where where that industry is going with a focus on spray foam, uh, there, there's going to be a significant opportunity. Uh, now, not to mention, uh, we've worked with several companies developing that brand where our equipment can really service both residential as well as commercial, which is unusual. So the average unit volume of that brand is 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 really significant. And it's the only brand that we launched a corporate location with that uh, and, and, and we're, uh, we're having a field day with that. So that's my favorite brand because the industry is perfect to enter into and where it's going. Uh, we have the best technology and equipment with, and we're selling the most efficient product. And there's a barrier of entry, which creates less competition, but that competition is still really, really uh, fragmented. Awesome. I love it. Well, I was going to put my money on Mighty Dog Roofing. So that was a pleasant surprise for me. And then on a last note, if you, if you have somebody that is concerned about what the future holds as far as the recession and uh, where business ownership is, and, you know, we have politics, elections, what would you, what would be your one piece of advice to somebody that says, perhaps I should wait and see what happens? Um, so I started my first franchise in 2008 and I had three years where I made more money than I, at that time that I'd ever made in my entire life. And then searching, I think, then you look at 2011 or 12, it all came crashing down after the recession. And so, uh, when you look at home services, which is what horsepower brands focuses on, there's a couple key, uh, I think key indicators that are important. And number one, there's less inventory on the housing market today than there was in 2004. So there's not enough inventory for the current population to expand into, which means that the high-end builders, even in a recession, are still going to build because there's just no inventory. And they're going to have to build multifamily uh, opportunities to support housing uh, housing uh, availability. And if a recession comes, there will be things to stimulate the economy, which tend to be somewhat commercially based. So I think if you look at all of our brands have a residential as well as a commercial application, I don't think that there's a wrong or a right or a wrong time to start a business, but in franchising, I mean, it's a 10-year franchise agreement, and then you have another 10-year renewal. You are going to see a recession at some point in that business. Why not do it in the beginning when you're typically well-funded, uh, first learning the business versus having built up a big organization with a lot of infrastructure and then go through some downsizing? 
So uh, that's my that's my I guess key, key key takeaway. But I'm a big believer in the there's no time there's no time better than today. If you want to lose weight, there's no better time to go to the gym than right now. If you want to uh, uh, ask that girl out, ask her out today. There's, <laughs> no, there's no sense in waiting. Life's short. You are you are so correct. So on that note, Zach, I just want to thank you so much. A lot of great insight. Loved hearing your background and the story behind Horsepower. You and Josh are doing great things and can't wait to bring more candidates your way. Absolutely. It's my pleasure, Stacey. All right. Thank you so much, Zach. And for those of you listening, if you are interested in learning more about any of the Horsepower brands, please feel free to reach out to me at stacy at fusionfranchising.com. Thanks and have a great day. 